It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday, it's 1 o'clock, we're live, and I have two great guests lined up today that we'll get to here shortly. If this is the first time that you're tuning in, or maybe you haven't tuned in in a while, welcome and welcome back. Just to give you a little recap on kind of why this show is what it is and what we're going to be doing here. Essentially, uh, you know, instead of me kind of cornering people and asking them a thousand questions and trying to figure out what makes them tick and what great things they're doing and keeping that all to myself, we created this uh, forum, the show here, to allow this uh, kind of conversation and dialogue to happen and uh, hopefully allow everyone else who who cares, who wants to tune in and listen, uh, the opportunity to, to hear those things, hear those answers and hear what we're talking about and what sort of things we're concerned about in the business world, in the HR world, talent, culture, kind of where all these things come together. So this show is really designed to give you that opportunity, as I said, to listen in the things that we're talking about and, we, and that we care about, and hopefully you might pick up something that you can use down the road. The show is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, as I mentioned. You can also access uh, this show through the way most people do, uh, you know, I think a lot less people come in live, more people come in after the fact, and we have quite an audience uh, through uh, iTunes and iHeartRadio. I think over 600,000 of you came in last week and listened to a show, whether it was the one from the week that week before or a previous one after that. Uh, really appreciate everyone coming in, your great support. That kind of puts us into the several millions here a month for, for listens and downloads, and we're just uh, really, really uh, can't, can't thank everyone enough for, for showing up to our little show here. So... Uh, if you have a question, this is an area that we're really trying to grow at. We want to have more uh, kind of conversations through Twitter. If you have a question, send it on Twitter. All you have to do is put in that question, add the hashtag Talent Talk. If you have room to add, at PeopleG2, that helps as well. And my producer, Mike, will try to feed me the questions. If it's after the show, no big deal. You still can send your questions over. You can still keep that dialogue going. And uh, I know I like to... Keep it going with with uh, with the audience, and so do our guests. Uh, keeping that conversation going there. So, speaking of guests, uh, my guest today will include Chris Brown, the CCXP. It's the top of my head, I'm not exactly sure what, what that title is, but we'll find out. Uh, he's uh, from uh, Market Culture, and then we'll have uh, Misty Ruiz. She's the uh, Chief People Advisor for Fasio. So, uh, Misty will join me in the second half of the show after the commercial break, but. Let's go ahead and get to my first guest, uh, Chris Brown. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Chris. Good to be here. So why don't you share everyone a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, 
what your title, what those little letters spell out. Kind of give us the what's the rundown about you that we should know about you and the, and the work that you're doing at Market Culture. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So actually, those those words are uh, certified customer experience professionals. So I'm part of a, a global association of customer experience um, practitioners and professionals, and I'm also the CEO of a company called Market Culture. So. You know, we're really focused on helping leaders of organisations create much more customer-centred businesses because uh, we believe that that actually is the best way to successfully compete and grow uh, an organisation in today's dynamic environment. So that's that's a little bit on, on the company. Personally, from a background point of view, you can probably tell... I'm not from the US, so I've got a. This is this is not my Northern Californian accent. This is my Calif- This is my Australian accent. Um, so I'm originally from down under, and um, my background is is really in um, sales and marketing in the IT industry in particular. So that's that's really where I developed my career and uh, developed an interest in the, the consulting practice that I've developed over the last twelve years. And it, so it sounds like a lot of really interesting things that we can kind of dive into. Um, you know, kind of putting the customer first is a seems like a natural thing to do, but yet uh, not always what everyone out of one's mind. Uh, so maybe you can kind of dive into that a little bit deeper here. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Not- why? Maybe let's talk about why would companies not put that first? I mean, are there some obvious things, or or maybe places where they obviously get tripped up? Yeah, look, I, I think what happens, Chris, is, you know, just about every, certainly every business starts by having the customer at the centre of what they do. In fact, you know, they're not going to become a business unless they start in that way where they've really got tremendous insight and focus on something that the customer needs that is not being sold in, in perhaps a way that it should be right now. And so that's really where entrepreneurs have an opportunity to, to bring something to market that's new, unique, filling a need better than anything else and and they can build a business out of that but if you think about organizations as they grow as they get larger uh, they get more complicated there's more different people involved in the business and they can become fairly internally focused so instead of really orientating themselves around the customer they might be thinking internally about their 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 boss and what their boss wants or you know what, what the other people inside the organization want from them and they kind of lose sight a little bit of really what's the purpose of that organisation. And, and that is, we would argue, is to maximise the, the value that they're delivering to, to a customer. Um, and so, you know, it's really a combination of things that, that, that happen that really take, take that focus off the ball, if you like, and, and organisations lose sight of that. And, you know, there's, there's a range of different industries where they've been really born out of maybe historical conditions where they haven't really had to focus on customers. They might have, you know, a monopoly situation or they might have a, a situation where they're one of two very large players so they can kind of get away with really not paying that much attention to customers. But what we're seeing in markets around the world is there's more and more competition. There's a lot of disruption happening. There are new technologies that are upending industries and those companies that are really not paying attention are going to be blindsided by these things and so we we really recommend that there's a there's a culture that needs to be developed to really look at outside the business and really look at customers what's happening with them what are the trends around customer behavior how, how are you maintaining relevance with them 
and, and by doing that effectively, you're going to be more successful and competitive in the marketplace. Well, one of the first areas I thought of when you started talking about that was maybe companies where their products or services are so popular, maybe very quickly, um, and so they don't really need to worry about what the customer wants in the long run, right, because they've got a line out the door. I mean, think of a really yep. popular restaurant or you think about maybe a particular, you know, something that's a fad. Um, yep. And you see those companies go out of business sometimes. You wonder how the heck that happened, but if they don't, I guess, keep an eye on the client and what the client's going to want for the long term and keeping them happy, it doesn't matter, I guess, if you're the hottest restaurant in town, if, you know, every one out of every 10 dishes comes out the door, gets somebody sick, or your staff is rude to them, or whatever it may be, it's, it's not going to last. So um, I guess there are those situations where it can be important, but certainly for all companies long term, that has to be the, the kind of fundamental baseline, I would say, or denominator. Uh, maybe maybe tied to other things like their purpose or how they how they operate, but certainly making sure their their customers are happy is huge. Yeah. I know yeah. I know one of your achievements with Market Culture was really leading that development of the world's first customer centric culture benchmark survey, which is a little bit of a mouthful. Uh, maybe can you talk about that survey, what its purpose was, and really what we kind of the desired outcomes uh, are are of such a survey? Yeah, like. You know, to, to come back to that 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 topic before around you know customer focus and so on and, and and thinking it's important. You know, one of the observations that we had in the work that we were doing. So we we, we were doing a lot of work with organisations to help them think about customers to really um, build strategies around that. But what we found was that you know a lot of the CEOs would be saying, look, we are customer focused. We're customer focused organisations. And, you know, they, I'm not sure if they really believe that or not, but, the, you know, one of the questions we had was, well, how, do you, how can you tell that you're really a customer-centric organisation? And, you know, there's a lot of research that's been done over many years to look at, um, you know, uh, customer satisfaction levels, customer experience levels, and how different companies rate on those things. And so that's kind of an external measure of an organisation as to whether or not, you know, customers believe that they are customer focused because that's really the true test right if the customer believes that you're a customer focused business they're going to do more work with you they're going to trust you they're going to spend more money with you um they're they're going to want to do business with you and and so that's really the the, the kind of key external metric but we also found well what is it that the companies that actually are very customer-centric and their customers believe that they are, what is it that they do that's different from organisations that the customers would say they're not customer-centric? You know, I'm, I get consistently bad experiences every time I deal with this business, right? What's different about about them? And so that's where we decided to do a bunch of research to develop a tool which was really to benchmark the organisation's culture. So we're really made, we're doing an assessment of the organisation's culture and we're doing that through um, just getting people to answer a survey on what they're seeing happening inside their organisation. So it's a survey that they use. And then we're able to, to see how does that benchmark versus companies that we know are very customer-centric. And to give you some examples of a company that's really customer-centric, um, Amazon is probably the world's most customer-centric organisation, right? That's They're obsessed with creating... A great experience, whether that's online, whether you call into them, um, whatever that may be, they're, they're, they're obsessed with really creating a great customer experience. 
Starbucks is another organisation that I'd argue does a really good job of understanding what it is their customers want and delivering on that consistently and then maintaining relevance as, as those needs are changing. Um, another company from the UK is Virgin with Richard Branson and, and really, under, again, understanding the customer and, and, and how to, to really deliver on that. So what is it about them and those organisations from a cultural point of view that allows them to actually create these great customer experiences. That's what we were looking to measure and that's how we developed this this um, benchmark survey to help leaders understand where is their organisation versus some of these really customer-centric organisations and, and then, you know, ha- how can we do something about that? So that was really the, the process involved. And, you know, certainly... Um this is, in my, at least in my view, one big factor in multiple factors. So you talked about some some pretty big companies there, and you know each each seems to really offer a very unique um, experience. Um, Amazon is certainly the dominant player in online shopping. I mean, Starbucks is the dominant coffee provider, and Virgin's probably one of the best airlines that you can fly. I mean, so you're talking about those that are offering um, that, and so out of t- but out of two out of the three of them, I also think they're not the cheapest in the marketplace, but they're still competitive. So there has to. So yep. It seems like they're you know what you're offering, what you're charging, and then what the customer experience is like. And there might be a fourth or a fifth element there that I'm not thinking off the top of my head. But how important is that customer experience in the overall equation into the things that you think will make a company ultimately successful? Because you can have the best customer experience in the world and have your prices are just way too high and no one's going to buy from yep. you or at least not enough yep. to be a success, right? So where yep. does it fit in that landscape? Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. So, you know, I think that customer centricity is not necessarily being, you know, the Rolls Royce. It's not being the absolute best. It's being what's appropriate for the customer that you're targeting as a business. So whatever that business is, and if you look at Amazon, really they're, you know, one of their values beyond being customer-obsessed and customer-centricity as a value of theirs is being frugal. So, you know, they, they, they want to be competitive at price, right? They're competing with Walmart. They're competing with um, um, companies that, that are comp- competitive on price. And so um, what the, the customers that they're really targeting, um, that that's an important element in in part of their total value proposition, if you like, in, ter- in terms of part of the total customer experience, is price and convenience are two things that they really sell hard on. So, customer centricity as an idea is not necessarily being that you know Rolls Royce premium or player, but it's about being and delivering the right experience for the customer that you're targeting, whatever that might be, um, in a way that allows you to, to, to obviously compete effectively. So. Um, it's going to vary across those different industries. You know, IKEA is another great example from Europe, which is, again, not a super premium product, but very customer-centric. They really understand that the, the customers that um, they're targeting, which is, you know, those that are more price-conscious and are willing to do some work to get a low-cost sort of fashionable piece of furniture that they're going to have to um, put together themselves. So um, it's really this idea of um, aligning everything in the business in a way that allows you to execute and deliver on this great experience, whatever that might be. Um, but what you know, it needs to be appropriate to the customers that you're really targeting. Yeah, and that's really, really important because, um, 
I guess it depends on the marketplace. It depends on, you know, what you're selling and what you're doing as to kind of where that sits. Um, yeah. And you're, you're framing it in a really great way, and I appreciate you taking the time to kind of break that down. I know we went a little off script there, but it, it works uh, works really well, I think, for what we're trying to frame out here. I know you've got a team of, of engagement managers in your company. So can you talk about yeah. uh, these positions and how – Maybe what they're kind of tasked to do within that engagement and maybe influencing the daily culture? Yeah. So, you know, the, the engagement manager's role is really to work with the leadership of an organization. So when we think about changing an organization's culture, you know, a, a third-party consulting firm like ours, we're not going to change the culture of an organization. What we're going to do is give them the tools to enable the leaders in the organisation to actually shape and, and, and change that culture over time. So the role is to really um, provide, provide a supporting role, to provide a roadmap of things that leaders can do to really shape the organisation's culture, to provide some advice, inputs, coaching, that sort of thing, to leaders to enable them to do that. So to, to give you a bit of an example of what that might look like, so... You know, one of the recommendations we often have for clients is to simply put the customer on the agenda of every meeting. So I think, you know, something I mentioned before is, you know, companies as they grow, they, they lose sight of, you know, the customer and where the customer fits in with everything that's going on. Uh, and certainly that, that's the case with an example that you gave of this, you know, rapid growth where, you know, things are happening so fast you're just trying to keep up with supply or, or, or whatever it might be. So keeping the customer on the agenda and, you know, a great example that comes from Amazon, actually, is Jeff Bezos, who's the CEO and founder there, has always promoted this idea of having an empty chair in a meeting room. And that empty chair is for the customer. Um, and what it reminds people to do is to is, is remember to think about the customer in, in, in the conversation we're having right now and the impact that that might have on customers. And just being mindful of that so... You know, there's a tendency in businesses to, you know, maybe we've got to optimise a, a, a process or a solution, and that's a very internal mindset. But what's the impact of optimising that process? What impact does that have on the customer, and are they going to feel that? Are they going to be affected by that? Is that going to um, make them not want to do business with us because we're making things hard for them or, or whatever it may be? So it's this idea of really um, keeping the customer at the, at the centre of the thinking, um, both from a decision-making point of view and and also, um, you know, really being per- pervasive across the organisation. So it's really helping the leaders to manifest that in their organisations to make sure that they're doing some of the things that we know are necessary to, to maintain a high level of external and, and, and customer focus. I know you also, uh, a few years ago, uh, co-authored a book, The Customer Culture Imperative, and books is something we talk a lot about on this show. Can you give us a little rundown on on what that book is about or what people might expect to kind of have as a takeaway if they wanted to pick that up? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the idea with the book was we really wanted to describe the behavioral model that we've developed through the research that we've done. So we we actually came up with seven different dimensions of a customer-centric culture. Customer insight, uh, these are related to customer insights, uh, competitor insights, understanding the peripheral environment within which the organisation exists within, um, how collaborative the organisation is and and how aligned it is in terms of where it's going as an organisation. These are the different dimensions. And we describe really what are the behaviours 
um, of organisations that, that exhibit um, this at a high level. And what are some of the examples? What are the companies that do this really well? So we talk about some of these companies that are well-known and also some companies that are not so well-known. And when you think about different organisations, you know, some of these companies were born customer-centric. They, they started that way. Um, but not all organisations start that way and they, they might have started you know, slightly differently or they've, they've lost that customer centricity over time. How do you actually then transform an organisation? How do you actually make it really customer centric? Um, and that's a really big challenge for a lot of organisations today that maybe have lost that. And so they're interested to read about some case studies and stories that we've got in the book um, based on our consulting experience and working with leaders over time on how do you actually create that change in your organisation. Um, so we give them a process and a bit of a roadmap and some ideas on things that they can do to actually implement the changes themselves um, and, and become much more customer-centric. So that's really the idea behind the book. Also quite a lot of leaders, uh, interviews with leaders that we really think you know, have done a great job of this and really been able to, to create change in their businesses. And then, so if you take that idea and let's maybe kind of focus this, focus this in on one person, what does the CEO have or what's sort of their role in kind of creating that culture or maintaining it, wherever it is in that, in that kind of process we're looking at? You know, is it yeah. is culture in your mind a top-down or is it just uh, are they supposed to be the referee? I mean, what, what's what, where do you see that? Yeah, look, I, you know, the reality is that... that that culture should be on the agenda of the CEO. I mean, it should be one of the levers that the CEO is looking to to leverage in in their role as CEO. So, I think that um, certainly in very large organisations, that um, the CEO's um, way of influencing the organisation and the behaviour of people in the organisation is through culture um, and the ability to. Um, influence them is going to be through the expectations of behaviour in the business. So if the CEO is really, you know, not talking about customers much, not really, really sort of walking the talk when it comes to, you know, maybe interacting with customers, hearing from customers, being visible, uh, you know, in terms of um, all of that activity and communicating in a way that's kind of customer-centric, talking about customers... Um, then you know they're they're not going to be able to shape the organisation to really pay that much attention to customers. So I think you know from a culture point of view, you know the the, the culture is and the tone is set by the CEO. So you know they have a, a significant role to play in this. Um, you know there are sort of opportunities for grassroots activity to happen to bubble up to elevate the importance of customers on the agenda for, for the CEO. But generally speaking, you need a CEO that buys into the idea that we really do need to um, have an organisation that's really in tune with its external market environment and its customers in particular and maintaining relevance with them. And um, a guy like Howard Schultz is a great example at Starbucks of someone that spends a lot of time in the stores talking to customers, getting behind, you know, and um, being a barista himself, just really walking through the store, really getting immersed in the customer's experience himself as a leader in that organisation, and that flows right down through his leadership team uh, and through his organisation. So, 
you know, the CEO does play a crucial role in this in this piece. I think absolutely, you're you're totally right, and um, it's, it's really kind of fascinating to look at that role um, from the leader's perspective and how much of an imp- really impact and influence they can have. Um, and for, for so many things in organizations that are better off being not top-down, culture really seems to be the one that's, you know, really should be top-down, really should be being driven by by, by uh, that leadership role, by example, whatever it may be. Uh, and really tying it to to the customer focus is, a, is a, I think, a great way to look at it. And certainly we could argue maybe the way to look at it if we're using these great companies you've mentioned today as sort of our example. Um, I want to make sure we ask you our favorite question, and that is, uh, is there a book you're reading right now that you might share with us? Uh, yeah, so that's that's an interesting question. I'm always reading um, you know, a range of different books. I was just thinking about this question um, earlier because I, you know, I just got off a long flight from London. So um, um, I, I'm actually just reading a book called Conscious Capitalism at the moment. I'm not sure if it's one you've heard of, but um, John Mackey, who's, the uh, co-CEO of uh, Whole Foods wrote this book uh, a few years back now. I think it was 2012 or 2013. Um, but it's a great book. It's, it's actually quite well aligned with our way of thinking around a customer-centric culture. And I'd argue that Whole Foods um, really has um, quite, a, quite a strong customer-centric culture in the way in which they do business. Um, but it's this alignment between, I think, um, you know, doing well in business and doing good in the communities within you, within which you operate, and really seeing capitalism as a, a powerful contributing force to societies um, and you know the general well-being of the economies and the places that they operate within. So it's it's an interesting book. I'm just sort of partway through it at the moment, but um, that's kind of where where my head is at, at this point in time. Yeah, it's a it's a good little book, and um, I think we'll definitely make sure we put this in our blog recap. And uh, those of you that didn't have a chance to jot it down, we'll certainly have a on our blog on peopleg2.com if you want to click on the link uh, here in a couple of weeks. We'll usually have that recap up. Um, so, uh, Chris, if you could tell us uh, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about market culture strategies? Um, can they find you on the web, or what's the best way for them to to find out more? Yeah, so, you know, the best place to, to find us is at marketculture.com. Um, we've got a blog site that's linked to that, which is our blog, marketculture.com. Also, you can um, follow us there and then follow us on Twitter, um, at marketculture. Uh, they're probably the best best uh, places to interact. And the, the book, The Customer Culture Imperative, is available on Amazon. So, yeah, probably the best ways to get hold of us. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show today with us and uh, taking time, uh, I know, with the... With the time differences and everything that's great but um really appreciate you doing that hopefully we have you come back and give us an update at some point uh on what you're doing thanks so much chris appreciate it a lot all right we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and our second guest uh misty ruiz imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. 
Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the uh, Town Talk Radio Show. Uh, my next guest uh, will be uh, Misty Ruiz. She's the Chief People Advisor for Fascio. Don't forget, you can find us at TownTalkRadio.com, on iTunes, on iHeart, uh, and that you can tweet us questions right now or, or after the fact by uh, sending them to PeopleG2. Use that hashtag talent talk, all one word if you can, and we'd love to keep the conversation going. So, uh, Misty, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you. Great. Good afternoon. So, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Let's start with the easy questions first. Um, we like to get everyone relaxed and ready to go. So, um, maybe tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your company, uh, Fascio. Sure. Thanks. It's great to be here. Um, so, I am actually a wife of a great husband, mother of seven kids, two dogs, two cats, and a fish. Um, and in my spare time, I am lucky enough to serve as a founder and chief people officer of Fossio. Uh, that's F as in Frank, A-C-I-O. Um, we're a human resource and organizational development firm. Uh, Fossio was actually founded in the midst of a personal layoff. Um, unfortunately, uh, our entire executive team at my last company was impacted, and um, I was convinced by a coworker, now friend, and my husband to venture out and start a firm that really helped to realize my passion for helping others. Um, so, hence the, the name of the firm, Fossio. It's a Latin term um, to help or to help grow. So, behind it all, I've witnessed over the years, I've had 25 years of management and HR experience, and behind it all, um, I've witnessed many business owners that have given their blood, sweat, and tears to their company, you know, only be... Uh, devastated by company litigation for discrimination, wrongful termination, et cetera, et cetera, many of which didn't even do a thing um, to jeopardize their business, but really simply overlook uh, the need for HR in their business. So I've been fortunate in those years to have worked in various different uh, types of organizations, financial service, technology distribution, um, lots of others, uh, from sales, operations, and HR, uh, which has really enabled me to deploy my skill set to go help others, um, hence developing the firm, Fascio. Well, it sounds like a really great way to, to kind of frame it. And So you said this sort of came out of a a time of layoffs did i hear that correctly correct correct so yeah. i have been one maybe, that has been impacted. Maybe you could, yeah maybe you could dive deeper into that story for us for a second sure sure 
Um, so, as many industries have experienced, uh, I was with a print manufacturing firm, and um, unfortunately, uh, you know, the product um, of print is a dying industry, and so, unfortunately, there was many people impacted, and uh, we tried to bring it to a technology-type firm, um, but just didn't happen soon enough or fast enough, um, given they really serviced the, um, the K-12 through education system. So, yeah, all of us were impacted at the executive level, um, including many of our, our great staff. And so um, in that, I, I just recognized that I uh, was able to help people in, you know, the transition of, you know, the company going to a whole different level and that there were many others out there that really needed help to make sure that they can offer, offer a respectful transition, if anything, um, when you have to make those tough business decisions. Right. And so, and then we look maybe uh, a little bit deeper what your role is now. Uh, what, what, how would you describe to someone as, you know, kind of what is your day-to-day responsibility to the things that you're really trying to accomplish as a chief people advisor? Sure. So, um, the chief people advisor role, um, I'm lucky enough to lead and manage a great team of HR professionals. Uh, those professionals um, are deployed out and provide virtual on-site support to business owners, executives, um, to help them really develop their people strategy. So, you know, deploying, uh, developing policies and procedures needing to protect uh, their company from litigation, um, while they really focus on building, retaining a great cohesive team of A players, um, it's a role that is um, quite inclusive of various different areas. You work closely with management teams, executive teams, to really understand their people, their culture, and how you can use that to best um, hit the bottom line. So I know on your LinkedIn profile I saw that you had um, uh, kind of been a part of executing one of the largest acquisitions in history of a professional employer organization, which a PEO people refer to sometimes. So can you talk about your role in this and what it was like and Kind of maybe what were the factors that enabled this to happen? Sure, thanks. So um, I have to I have to say I, I didn't execute it, of course. Um, at the time of execution, uh, the company I was with was actually a very small fish in a big pond. And it, as fortunate as we were, it was a big task. Um, we actually purchased a company that was four times the size of our company and on the opposite coast. So um, yeah, for those that aren't familiar with the PEO. Um, you know, a professional, organi- a professional employer organization partners with various different companies. They are actually hired to be the employer of record for payroll purposes. And what that does is it al- allows that PEO to actually accumulate the number of employees um, across the board through all of their customers to offer better benefits, human resources, um, uh, as well as, you know, better work comp rates um, than the open market would provide. So my role at the time was actually the human capital director of a team from um, Santa Barbara to San Diego to Phoenix, and it was a great team. Um, And we really had to bring together that team um, to mentor and coach and train a whole other team that was on, you know, a whole other um, coast to really understand the business and where we needed to go and bring together um, all of the objectives of, you know, bringing aboard um, customers that weren't well-versed in our business model. So it was pretty exciting. Yeah, sounds like uh, really kind of a fascinating time in your career and 
uh, quite an experience. So, you know, the first guest we had on a, a little bit ago talked a lot about that customer-centric culture that he really pushes. And, you know, with with culture, you really need to have great people, got to have good talent management, good engagement. So I'm kind of wondering, based on your experiences, you know, where do you feel are some of the most effective, you know, ways or models that people might look at for engaging their employees and, and having the right talent? Right, right. So I, I believe that there are, you know, five real things that are inclusive of an effective employee engagement model. Um, and those are really driven by the leaders of the organization, whether they be management, executives. They all really need to stay close to the team, to the employees. Um, and those five things are open communication, making sure, you know, there's that two-way street, that feedback is given and it's given in a timely manner. They're not hesitating. Um, it's important to understand what their perspective is, what they're hearing from the customer, so that is really key. Uh, the second would be mutual trust, you know, making sure that they understand that they can come forward without ramifications um, to share what it is that they're feeling or seeing um, around the product or service, um, or frankly, even in the office internally. So, uh, And then the third, of course, um, alignment of employees' role and success, really understanding how how everyone impacts um, the business results, how their role is so important to the overall success of the company, and then the shared decision-making, you know, really sitting down, um, understanding what they can and cannot do, and in building a plan from there, both a plan for execution for them to go after whatever goals you're setting for them, but also a plan for their own career development, which is the fifth, um, to make sure that you as an employer are looking out for the employees, their long-term um, plan, and that you're included in that long-term plan. Uh, naturally, employee retention is, is very important. Yeah, and it's it's something that um, we're seeing a lot of the last year that uh, there's a lot of sort of movement between companies. Retention is being a little bit more, more of a challenge for companies, and the pool of employees has certainly dried up. I mean, most uh, people that were kind of out of work or in transition uh, back when the recession hurt, hit are really back into the workplace. And so what's left is either the, uh, you know, those who are not maybe capable, aren't really trained, aren't really uh, wanting to be back in the job pool, or you have to go kind of steal it from somebody else. So right, <laughs> it's a right. really fascinating, you know, kind of time when we kind of go through these cycles in business where you have more talent to choose from than you could ever go through. And then now you have right now, which is there's not enough to even, you know, make a short list for. So um, it's an interesting time. Have you, have, have you yeah, seen people be successful with you know, those different types of models? Oh, I was just saying I completely agree. Workforce is, you know, ever-changing, and we've really got to stay ahead of it to recruit, re-recruit staff over and over again and convince them that, you know, our company is the place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, as a manager of talent, then, you obviously have a – guess desire to see talent remain with the company you want to see them flourish um you want to make sure that you know what they're doing is really aligned with senior leadership we kind of talked about a little bit about that what they're doing being aligned and uh certainly succession plans all these kind of great things that we could could dive into but maybe what do you think employees why do you think employees really stay with a company um to start with well, especially now, considering, you know, uh, people have opportunities around the corner, um, I think employees really stay with companies because they feel valued. 
um, how they feel valued, it, you know, could vary. But I think it's important that uh, management and leadership really reach out to each and every employee and understand what that means to them. Um, is it, you know, that they want to have a hand in in developing their own goals? Is it that they want to be able to come forth when they think that something is wrong or something can be improved? Um, everyone is different, just like in relationships. You know, you got to figure out that love language for your employees. Um, but I think that that's really a key aspect to keeping employees is making sure that uh, you treat them as individuals and you understand what's important to them and how it is that you can help them to achieve that. And is that really, is that a short-term, you know, sort of thought process? Or are there other things from a long-term process, too, you have to think about? Well, I think it's always um, something you need to think about. Certainly short-term, um, you know, things could change in a moment's notice, Um lives change, people change, uh, opportunities, you know, drop on our laps. And so um, I think that keeping in constant communication with your employees, uh, keeping close to them, understanding where they're at and what they're doing um, and how, you know, the successes that they've had, uh, recognizing those those small things um, every single day is important. Uh, the long haul, uh, if you're lucky enough to keep people for the long haul, you know, the average duration of employees right now is 18 months. And so that's a tough, tough thing for business when turnaround costs, um, are very heavy and very expensive to an organization. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that being valued in an organization is key to everyone. It's just really what that means to them. Right, absolutely. And there are definitely things we've seen that companies will do sort of from a short-term perspective, like, you know, making sure that they understand what the company does, what their purpose is, you know, that they have all the tools and things they need to be successful. But then long term, do they understand that role? Do they, is there a succession plan for them? Do they get their training? I guess sort of the idea here is there's so many different, um, you know, things for, for, uh, companies to think about in the different life cycle of an employee and, Seems like the best, the ones that are doing it the best have that kind of framed out. You know, what do we do day one? What do we do first month? What do we do three months? What do we do one year? And so on. And um, kind of given your experience, I just wondered if you'd seen people kind of think of it that way. It's just sort of the way it resonates in my mind, but in kind of thinking about this in stages for employees. Yes, and certainly, um, you know, from through the employee life cycle, that that uh, line of communication is important. Um, certainly, when someone is new, when someone's just trying to be recruited into the organization, they need to understand what it is the organization is trying to accomplish, whether or not they want to sign up for it. You know, it may not be the right environment for them, and truly, what's expected. And so it all starts, you know, the moment someone turns in an application and begins discussions with the company. But then it also goes to, you know, doing our due diligence to get them trained properly, up and running, prepared for, you know, their first day. It, it, it starts there. Um, and it shows on the first day when you actually take the time to be prepared, have their desk ready, have their computer set up with their logins. And, you know, they feel good. They know they're up and running. And it was thought through. It was thought through that, hey, this new team member is coming aboard and is part of us, and we're going to prepare for that. 
And then, of course, taking them through. I'm, I'm not a proponent of, you know, the annual employee reviews um, any longer. I think that things change in a heartbeat, and it's really important for us to be able to maintain the ability to turn the ship um, at a moment's notice. And so if we are not um, closely adjoined to our employees, if we don't have their trust, if we aren't talking to them regularly and ingrained in what it is that they do every single day, uh, we can't turn that ship. And that is a competitive advantage, I think, that a lot of companies don't realize until it's too late. So it's really important not just annually to talk to your employees about what they've done or what they've done recently, but rather talk to them on a consistent basis, thank them, appreciate them, address issues. If there are issues, address them swiftly so you can get past them and improvement can be made. Um, If somebody doesn't know that there's an issue, unfortunately, it's not going to be resolved. So it's really important to, to stay close. I love this uh, concept you're bringing up that we've talked about in the show before, which is this idea of you know getting incremental and uh, communication on a regular basis. Um, yeah. You know, doing that annual survey, the annual review. I mean, you go 12 months and then you ask everyone how things are, and they give you back. You know, maybe there's some problems. Maybe there's a lot of problems. And then you spend three months trying to figure out how to fix it. Three more months trying to implement something. For an employee, they may have been through 18 months before you actually decide to do something when there's been a problem. And you mentioned that 18-month uh, number about retention. I mean, that could be a big reason why a lot of people just, they, they've given it up. They're all they tried, but no one's fixing the problem. No one's listening to them. And instead of, you know, we've seen lots of examples of this, but I've mentioned this before. My company does a, a weekly survey. We ask one question every week, and we get incremental feedback um, from our from our staff as to how things are going, where they're having challenges, what's working well, who's helping them, what they wish we were doing differently, whatever it may be. And that allows us to make those little changes at a time instead of gigantic right. changes, you know, every so often. So I really appreciate you kind of reinforcing that. It's a, it's a great thing for, for people to think about. You know, one of the questions we, we love to ask uh, all of our guests, and hopefully you have a, a stellar answer, of course, is uh, is there a book that you're reading right now? Well, I would love to give you a stellar answer, but it's kind of a dry <laughs> one. So <laughs> I actually am reading The Introduction to Law. Uh, my, my son is in college and needs some help with actual application of such, and so uh, I'm going back to basics and <laughs> and trying to help him to be able to... Uh, to use his critical thinking skills and apply um, what he's learning to the real life. So let's I kind of dive into that. Have you seen any anything out of that that has been applicable to you in your work or your day-to-day life that maybe you didn't expect? Yeah. You know, I, I think that the millennial generation um, are absolutely brilliant, but, uh, you know, unfortunately they're moving at a million miles an hour and, uh, their critical thinking skills, I think, um, you know, have a bit to be desired. So applying that, you know, what to do when you have a, a, a blowout on the freeway when you're tired, you know, all of those things um, they don't seem to be as well-versed in, and so really helping them to to understand why it's so important. Um, yeah, I think that's a definitely important, something that surprised me. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely we're seeing a change with the different generations, and there's a couple different 
fascinating concepts of one of the critical thinking component. I mean, certainly if your child is good at critical thinking, they're probably going to have a very good job for a very long time because there's a very large population of the millennials that have a challenging a challenge in that area. Um, the other one I found fascinating is we have seem to have this, our society has a, a growing population of people who know a lot, a little bit about a lot of things. When we used to have a society that had people that were experts, that knew, you know, had a very deep, deep understanding about a very small subject matter. Um, and so we sort of, as we move from, away from specialization into, I guess, generalization might be the right word, be interesting to see how that kind of changes our business landscape and what opportunities there might be there for people. Have you seen any of that in, in your work and in your company? Actually, I have. Uh, a lot of us do networking and at networking events. I think it's really interesting to be able to to find individuals that do have that breadth of knowledge. Um, as you mentioned, I think many times um, we know a lot about nothing, um, <laughs> or should I say, you know, or we know a lot about, um, you know, small points here and there, but not uh, we're not experts in many things, and so it's nice when we can finally run into people that um, have been in industries or roles for a very long time and can provide that insight um, and guidance and, frankly, leadership, um, yeah, just in networking events. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Well, you've, you've uh, been a great guest, and I really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, how can people um, you know, learn more about your company if they're interested in, in learning more? Sure. Chris, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Um, I can actually be reached through our website, which is www.facioprocom That's F-A-C-I-O-P-R-O.com. I'm also on LinkedIn under Misty Ruiz, or you can reach our firm at 323-84-GET-HR. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show. Hopefully, we have you come back at some point. Give us an update on what you're doing and how your company's, uh, uh, you know, coming along. And um, maybe you'll have uh, some other interesting books for us as well. It might be a, a first on that on that uh, category. So, thank you for joining us, Misty. Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in today's show. Hopefully, you gained something that will help you in your own career. Uh, we will not have a live show next week because it will be Thanksgiving uh, here in the States. Uh, but don't forget to listen in uh, to the podcast uh, on iTunes and iHeart. And we'll uh, catch you for a live show back, uh, looks like, I think, November 29th will be our next live show. We'll have a Robert, uh, excuse me, Robin Schooling, the VP of HR from Hollywood Casino, and then uh, in Baton Rouge. And then we'll have Sherry uh, Conaway, the Director of People for Southwest Airlines, on uh, as well. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talent Talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G Two.